Is it time for some legends to get out of the NFL? We'll discuss this and more. This is Iceman and Coach. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the Iceman and Coach Sports Show, brought to you by Ice Time Nation. A big shout out to everybody in Ice Time Nation who listens to the show, supports us, all that stuff, especially you, the person who gave us the one-star rating on Apple. I appreciate that dedication to hatred. Keep it coming because it means that we are doing something right. Last week, it was just me. I went back on the old solo train, and while that was a, you know, a trip to nostalgia past, The coach is back, and we are back at full strength, unlike some of the teams in the NFL. How are you doing, my man? I'm doing really well, Iceman, and it's great to be back. I missed everybody last week, and I got to tell you what, like you said, I'm just as big of a fan as you are of the one-star Raider because it's not the one-stars that I worry about. It's not the five-stars that I worry about. It's the the three-star person that makes me nervous because if, if you've taking the time to give a one-star rating. Obviously, we've gotten under your skin. And so whether it's good attention or bad attention, it's all attention, and we will take it here on Ice Time and Coach, or Ice Man and Coach. You want to know why it amuses me so much? It's because this person went to every single show on the Matty Ice Media Network and gave them all one-star ratings. No words, just ratings. And what I have found, I kind of went through a few podcasts here and there, you know, Colin Cowherd, maybe some Dan Lebetard, All those guys and gals have themselves a lot of one-star ratings with no words. So I feel like we're building something, and we are just about on par with those folks. But I do have to appreciate somebody having that kind of time and just dedication and pettiness. I'm kind of here for it, I'll be honest. Oh, absolutely, man. Like, you just got to be polarizing. And I don't think we've even been that polarizing. Maybe they just think we're terrible, which is fine, too. Uh, But yeah, that takes some serious effort. I mean, I... There's a lot of things in this world that I dislike. There's a lot of people that I dislike, but I don't think I've ever gone to that uh, degree, man. I don't I don't have the time to put that sort of effort in. It's dedication. I appreciate it. Well, there is always time for that. We are still young, my friend. So I wanted to ask you, because we haven't had you in a while, how is the soccer team? So the season has ended. Oh, no. Um, last, last Saturday was the last game of the year, and we suffered our first defeat of the season we fell behind two to zero we made an epic effort and a comeback but couldn't overcome the deficit and fell two to one to our opponents that is very very unfortunate what i have found out by the way is that my nephew's soccer team apparently got a late start compared to just about every soccer team in the country because they just played i think their second game first real game against the real opponent and I have I sent you a picture from from where I was and it was just amusing to me because kids at that age are kind of teetering on that line he's going to be eight in January and they pay attention sometimes they don't pay attention a lot of the times and it's a developmental coach that they have I love the way that he sarcastically talks to them like there was a penalty in the middle of the game kid was trying to kick the ball and he was getting really frustrated because he's the guy who's kind of the kid who's always got the ball he's trying to score and so he kicks my nephew in the back of the leg and the coach stops he's like I have a question are you allowed to do that and the kid was like no and he's like well then don't do it again that's a warning and he yellow carded an eight-year-old like I just feel like that's amazing and I love his attitude and I just I don't know. I got my first taste of this, and I feel like I could see myself coaching down the line if they're going to let somebody that sarcastic be a coach. 
I'm probably lucky that the parents didn't sit close enough at practice to hear the things that I would say. Now, I wasn't profane or vulgar, but I imagine that the level of sarcasm was probably on par with what you uh, experienced with your nephew's coach. And it's, I would just be like, are you kidding me? What was that? We've totally practiced that. Like, please don't do that. Or picking grass in the middle of the game when the ball's going by you. My favorite was my nephew running stride for stride with the kid on a breakaway, looking at the kid as if, wow, this is a really great breakaway instead of breaking up the pass <laughs> man I, I saw that a ton and i feel like the age range with the group that i coach was very vast it was first to third grade so we're talking six years old to gosh maybe nine maybe i don't know it seems like a maybe eight but that's, that's still a pretty wide range in age and so you could definitely tell the difference between the more experienced older kids and the, the younger ones and the younger ones were definitely more timid to get involved and usually the, we had two referees which i thought was great but they were both like junior high age kids that were pretty passive and I'd always want to be like, hey, because uh, the ball would go out of bounds and they just let the kids like chase it down. And the kids are still like playing and the ball's 20 yards out of bounds. I'm like, you're going to blow the whistle. You got a whistle, man. Like blow that thing. And, uh, you know, just the, how passive they were was frustrating at times. Well, these kids are not quite at GOAT status just yet, but I think maybe some of them we could see on the national team here or there, maybe a college team. But I want to get to the main topic of the week because there has been a lot of chatter in the NFL, and I know that this is probably piling on again to something that is being talked about a lot, but Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers are really the talk of the town these days in the NFL. And I would say probably for the first time in their collective careers, it's not in a good way. Both the Bucks and the Packers are three and four. They both have looked listless the last few games and Brady and Rodgers have been at the center of this storm. And I just have to ask a fundamental question that we can break down a little bit more, but how do we know if these guys are done or not? I don't know. What I'll tell you about Tom Brady is I'm probably more frustrated with him than Aaron Rodgers in this case, because that guy has everything. Family, beautiful wife, at least from the outside looking in. We don't know the day-to-day -day details, but he appears to have a wonderful life outside of football, a bajillion reasons to just walk away. You've done everything that could be done. You've won, what, six Super Bowls or whatever. Seven. Seven, yeah. I mean, that's absurd. Just walk away. You're the greatest. Go live your wonderful life with your beautiful wife and your beautiful kids and just be, you know, preserve your legacy. Why he's still playing, I guess you could say for the love of the game, but at this point, it, it seems really, it feels selfish, I would say. I mean, he's it's basically cost him everything. And then in Aaron Rodgers' case, I get it a little more. I mean, the guy's just kind of a, a loner traditionally. He doesn't seem to last long in any sort of relationships. He's kind of estranged from his family. And this is kind of all he has in a way. So I don't blame him for hanging on. But I think he struggles the older he gets because he does not relate well at all to young players. I don't think he's, I mean, because he demands such a high level of, perfection or excellence that you're not going to get out of most rookies and it makes things more difficult but are they done i don't know knowing our luck we're going to sit here and bury these two schmucks and one of them's going to go on and make a run at the super bowl or something but i would say we could probably officially um start making arrangements for uh tom brady and aaron Rodgers. i mean that division's bad enough the south or the nfc south's pretty bad too but i think the north is volatile enough that they could they could make a run come out i mean it's hard to go play in green bay in february you know so they got a chance here's the thing about both of these guys that i find interesting is i think they're both in this predicament for different reasons that are almost kind of the same so brady 
The reason that he's great, and I think we've talked about this even, is that he's singularly devoted to football. He's obsessed. He works harder than everybody else, and I think that has been proven over time that he works hard. Alex Guerrero, who's his doctor, who's not a doctor, guru, whatever you want to call that fucking guy, has convinced Tom that he's going to be great until he's 50. And I think Tom had an had he had the ability to go out on top. He could have retired after 2020 because I think like Kobe, he wanted to prove that he could do it without Belichick. He did it in his first go around. He had the chance to leave. And from a family perspective, his wife has been telling him for a while, hey, I'm done with you playing football because there are a lot of factors that go into it. And at his age and what he's accomplished, I can actually see her argument. I would say if he was 30 years old, then maybe that argument doesn't hold any water. But at 43 years old, winning your seventh Super Bowl, nobody's going to eclipse that. Like, we all know that. Even as great as Mahomes and Josh Allen are, they're not going to win seven Super Bowls. I'm pretty confident in saying that because it's supposed to be that hard. Like, the greats are the greats for that reason. And I think what is plaguing him this year is that he is so devoted to football, but he's not working harder than everybody else this year because there's so many things going on. And you're right, he's lost everything. And yet somehow, some way, that hasn't stopped him and had him say, look, I need to take some time off to figure this out. He clearly loves football more than anything else. Aaron Rodgers, on the other hand, I don't think loves football more than anything else. I think he loves himself more than anything else. And his unrelatability to these young players when that's all that he has is his inability to continue to win. And I think that what separates him from Tom Brady is he doesn't actually care about winning. I really don't think Aaron Rodgers cares about winning another Super Bowl. I see him more in the Kyrie Irving realm. Very talented, kind of quirky. And I think if he doesn't win another Super Bowl, his life is going to be fine. He'll be totally fine. So I think that they're in the places that they are for different reasons. I think Aaron Rodgers is has more years left, but he's not going to be able to survive if he's going to treat the talent this way. And I think Brady missed an opportunity to go out on top and retire personally. That's just my thought. And maybe some people out there who are devoted to something can tell me differently. But there comes a time in that sport where if you don't retire, the sport is going to retire you. And if this is the year that Tom Brady retires, we're going to see a mediocre Tom Brady for the first time in our lives. Yeah, we've seen it. You don't just see it in sports. We've seen it in other avenues, you know, whether you know, we talked about Lee Corso, you know, a month or so ago. And just is it, is it kind of a deal where it's almost a detriment to his legacy, which, you know, I'll, I kind of backpedal on that. I think he's he's done an okay job and they've done a good job at, at sort of keeping him involved and everything else. But we've seen the same sort of scenario in other ways, whether it's um, musicians, it seems like it happens all the time. You have these musicians who are superstars and then by the end, they just can't walk away and they're out there playing. You know, they went from playing in stadiums to playing in some sort of small theater somewhere. And, and that's a little different because it doesn't require the maybe physical talent to something like football takes. But yeah, I, I cannot wrap my head around why Brady's doing what he's doing. It's kind of sad to watch a little bit. Um, it makes him seem more human. I would say that because you're like, gosh, like maybe I'm smarter than Tom Brady because I even know that this is dumb. And uh, and like you said about Aaron Rodgers, yeah, I do think that he really thinks highly of himself. He, he strikes me as the type of guy who always thinks he's the smartest guy in the room. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. Yeah, and I mean, you can tell when he is interviewing with the press after a game or whatever that, you know, he's just kind of condescending. Yeah, you're right. You're right about that. 
I've always thought that that was a part of him that I liked, but over the last couple of years, I found it to be actually off-putting. Maybe that's me getting older, but I just, there's something about Aaron Rodgers that I just don't like anymore. And I'm actually getting to that, that place with Tom. While we've all wanted him to be more human and more interesting, that is causing, I don't know, like the humanity that we're seeing is such a negative thing. Like you never want to see somebody's life fall apart. And we don't know. I mean, we're speculating that that's actually what's happening. But for somebody to have what he has had and to throw it away for a sport that isn't going to give a damn about him when he retires, it's, it's baffling to me because there are people who would die to have what he has or half of what he has. Yeah, and Giselle could be a monster. We don't know, right? I mean, she could just be an absolute maniac, and we have no idea. (laughs) We hope so, but we have no idea. I mean, we can all assume, at least from a distance, that that doesn't appear to be the case. Uh, And you're right about Rogers, man. I, I just cannot just just the sort of entitlement that he has about himself. And I have no problem with someone who wants to be honest and be direct with people. Sure. But I think that you have an obligation. If you, if you're going to wear that hat, you need to be honest about yourself too. Otherwise you lose all credibility and you're just an asshole. And you don't ever hear him very often kind of accept responsibility for things or be critical of himself. It's always, you know, him putting someone else down in some way. That's why I liken him to Kyrie Irving. I kind of get that vibe from him too. For sure. Both of these franchises are in a tough spot, though, because they have an aging quarterback and they really don't have any future beyond it. I think the Bucks are in a much worse position because, like I said, I think Rodgers has a few more years left. They might be able to get a receiver or two to appease him the last few years. The Bucks have nothing because that team is going to get completely imploded once Brady leaves and getting the aging quarterback out at the right time is always the hardest thing to do. And just about every franchise has gotten it wrong because they want to hold on. They want to hold on. That's the athlete in them. But speaking of quarterback changes this year, I feel like we have more controversies or conversations around quarterbacks and we've kind of dipped our toe in this a little bit because you are a Cooper Rush guy and Cooper Rush was replaced this week by Dak Prescott. And last night during the Monday Night Football, game which wasn't much of a game the Chicago Bears I cannot believe went to Foxborough and just put a whooping on the Patriots Mac Jones started that game went three for six with a pick and was pulled at a really short leash and we just found out that Frank Reich is benching Matt Ryan who is I think his seventh quarterback in however many seasons he's been there and I want to talk about changing quarterbacks because let's talk let's let's focus on the Patriots for a second so Mac Jones gets hurt they picked him number you know 15 last year and they get this zappy kid Mac gets hurt zappy comes in they almost beat the Packers they win two straight after that and he looks really really good now any third string or second string quarterback can look good in in flashes but Mac Jones comes back last night there's been rumblings I'm not sure if you've heard this that he hasn't been really getting along with the organization from what I understand Mac Jones is in a why asker and he has a coach that doesn't give a shit about giving you the answer just do what I tell you to do and it seems like Mac got the nod last night but had a really really short hook and I have to ask you what would you do in this situation if you were Bill Belichick well I'm not Bill Belichick first of all not even uh close because i'm i'm the type my my frame of mind is if i have enough conviction to tell you to do something a certain way i should be able to at least explain to you why that is and i always took that approach as a coach i take that approach as a a supervisor a manager uh in my professional life that if i ask you to do something and you want to ask me why i should be able to give you a, a reason why we're doing this this way or why i'm asking you to do that thing so i honestly disagree with bill in that regard but the guy is highly decorated and I 
I am not the one to sit here and put him in his place. His job is to win football games and not not make friends or whatever. And if he feels like Mac Jones isn't the guy, then you got to move on. Now, Bailey Zappi has been good for a few games, but the more and more tape that gets out there, defenses eventually catch up, hone in on tendencies and things like that. So it's tough to make a broad judgment off of a couple games. Now, if he comes in and starts the rest of the season and you know wins a good percentage of ball games, then we can you know maybe consider that that's a viable option. See, I feel like Mac Jones was drafted, and while I like Mac Jones, I haven't been wowed by Mac Jones. I know he made the playoffs last year, but this year he looks like he has regressed, and I'm not really sure why. Is it a coaching thing, McDaniels leaving? What has changed? Because Belichick did laud him in the offseason to say that he has made a lot of strides and a lot of improvements, but we're not seeing that on the field. Well, he was kind of the highest drafted, what I would call stopgap quarterback I've ever seen in a way, because I don't know that they were convinced that he was the answer, but I I think they believed that he was well coached enough and had enough of a skill set to at least get them by until something better came along. And I think he still is that. Maybe it is a matter of, I mean, fuck, let's talk about who his OC is. <laughs> yes. The guy, the guy was a D coordinator forever. You're going to tell me that, you know, he's able to, I mean, I think, I think you have to have a sort of unique understanding of who Mac Jones is to put together an offense that he can succeed in. And Matt Patricia may not be the man for that job. But at what point is it on Mac to improve in his second year? I understand that your rookie year, your coach, your OC, the scheme, all that stuff matters because you're getting used to the game speed in the NFL, all that stuff. But Mac Jones, I feel like in his second year, needs to take a little bit of a step up and have that responsibility. You talked about Aaron Rodgers, and I get it. You ask a lot of questions. You want to know what's going on. Matt Patricia, guy who hasn't coached offense, I totally understand Mac Jones's reservations. But at the end of the day, isn't it put up or shut up? Isn't that what we always say about these guys? Yeah, I mean, football's football. You may be asked to do things in, in some different ways, but the game, throwing a 15-yard out is throwing a 15-yard out. Uh, the game, you know, reading a defense is reading a defense. You know, how your offense fits into that is relevant, but not overly relevant. I think that everyone would agree that Mac Jones had a limited skill set when he came into the league. Everyone knew he wasn't so much of a playmaker but he wasn't the type of guy that was going to go out and lose a game for you. At least that's how people perceived him. I think he's pretty much lived up to that billing for the most part. And uh, yeah, while it's up to him to sort of put up or shut up, like you said, I don't know if he's talented enough to do that. And yeah, we could say, you know, for a long time, Alabama quarterbacks sort of had that reputation, but then look at Jalen Hurts and Tua. They're mm -hmm. kind of breaking the, breaking the narrative as far as that goes. But I don't know. I never believed that Mac was the long-term answer in New England. I thought that maybe there would be some magic there possibly, but I thought that was... Uh, you know, there's a small chance that that was going to be the case. See, I think last night they should have started Zappy and not Mac Jones because Mac Jones has a high ankle sprain. We know that that's a tough injury to come back from, but I think by starting Mac and then pulling him so quickly, it just, it was dysfunction. Zappy comes in in the middle of the game. Yes, they scored 14 points right away, but had he gotten the starting nod, they might've been able to get a little bit momentum. But at that point, when they brought him in, the Patriots were already down. Their game plan had already changed. The defense had already given up a bunch of points. And I just felt like Belichick needed to go with that quarterback for a minute. But again, I think what skews this here is that he's done this before. And Mac Jones is not an established guy. Whereas Dak Prescott getting getting benched for Cooper Rush 
would be insane unless of course he's playing really really bad now Dak came back against the Lions the first half was very sluggish then I think they got into a little bit of a rhythm and I see that Dak is the guy like Dak doesn't need to do a whole lot for the Cowboys to be successful but in those two scenarios one guy is established and he's paid a lot the other guy this is second year and Mac Jones I think needs to prove something or else this kid could pass him and neither one of these guys may be the answer but this is in the here and now and Bill Belichick is a guy who's going to make the right decision remember he benched Drew Bledsoe who had just signed a contract like the year prior and Tom Brady won six Super Bowls with them so I, that's just my opinion but the one I want to really ask you about is near and dear to your heart and that is the Indianapolis Colts so the Colts have looked okay I think that's a good way to put it through seven games they're what 500 three three and one or whatever their record is I can't remember something like that yeah. I mean Matt Ryan it's sad to kind of see him go out like this because you talk about a guy that was really talented, had a very nice career in Atlanta. And I, I think it kind of all went downhill for him a little bit after the Super Bowl there where Brady and the Patriots came back from 20-whatever points down to beat him in the second half. The guy's, he's not going to be a Hall of Famer because they, I, don't, I don't think, you know, they never won a championship, never kind of won any big games, but he's, he's supremely talented. And I was kind of hopeful that he would be able to resurrect his career a little bit in Indianapolis, but that just hasn't been the case. And it, it's sad to see a guy's career sort of wind down this way, but the season is probably all, I know three, three and one's not terrible. There's, there's still plenty, you know, that division's bad. You could still find a way to win the division and get in the playoffs. But if you're going to make a change, now's the time to do it. So you can give, if you really want to take a look at that guy, the backup there, whose name's escaping me as most others, I, I, now's the time to do it. So you get a good sample size going into the off season. You know, he's going to have what, 10, 12, 14, whatever games under his belt. Uh, now's the time to take a look at him and see if he can win football games for you, uh, especially why he's got the rest of the season to sit in the same quarterback room as Matt Ryan, a guy that has a ton of knowledge and can bring him along. And I think that, you know, you might think these guys have egos, and I'm sure that Matt Ryan does, but these guys know how the game goes, and, and he's probably the type that would take someone like that under his wing and bring him along. I guess I'm confused about this move because while I agree with you that Matt Ryan is definitely aged, and at the point where he is getting very close to, if not already kind of washed, I guess I'd be more on board with what Frank Reich is doing if Matt Ryan had looked like absolute crap and the team was one in five. But he's had some games there that he has looked really, really good. And keep in mind, that is without Jonathan Taylor being at Pro Bowl status or even out of the game. And they've managed to win three games. And Sam Ellinger, that's the guy you couldn't remember, former Longhorn Sam Ellinger, by the way, he is a guy that I don't think Frank Reich even thinks is the guy either. And yet they're going to, it's just weird. Like I don't see a rhyme or reason to why it has to happen this way. Because if you weren't sure about Matt Ryan, why didn't you, why did you bring him in in the first place? I mean, they traded for the guy. So let him start the whole year. Two, two words for you. Um, Jim Ursay are the two words you're looking for. Uh, Frank Reich, knowing the position he's in and is being on the hot seat, he has no say-so in what's happening right now. And this is coming from the top. Jim Irsay saying, I've seen enough. Get the kid in there. Let's see what he can do. And I, I think there's some, that that's my first assumption. The other possibility, the other possibility is that Frank Reich is, this is his last ditch effort to save his job is to make a quarterback change. That's a possibility. That's what's happening too, is he's like, all right, we got to do something. I have to show I'm making some sort of a change to jumpstart things, to save my job. And this is 
this is the bold move I'm going to make. That's it's possible. That's what's happening. I mean, I guess it's possible that Jim Ursay is making this call, but Jim Ursay seems like the kind of guy who wanted a guy like Matt Ryan. So yeah, he's going to bring him in and have his hands in on that. I I don't know. I feel like Frank Reich is the one making this call, and I really don't see Frank Reich as the kind of guy who's going to be a puppet. And I know that Jim Ursay is one of those owners in the league that you know, very small group of people who may be seen as meddlesome. But I've never gotten him in the same place as Jerry Jones or Daniel Snyder or guys like that. I guess I'm just a little bit confused because they had Ellinger on the roster already. So you've already had eight different quarterbacks in the three years that Reich has been there. Why not just keep Ellinger and why trade for Matt Ryan? I mean, they are clearly don't they don't have a plan. If Jim Irsay is making this call, he doesn't have a friggin' clue what he's doing because they don't have any plan for what they're going to do long-term at quarterback. They're not good enough to be, you know, they're, they don't have a quarterback to make them good, and they're not bad enough to be in the top 10. So, like, what are we doing here? Are we just going to be a steaming pile of disappointment forever? I certainly hope not, but when's the last time someone who wasn't even on the roster had such a significant impact in a franchise's future? And that person I'm talking about is Andrew Luck. The guy's not even on the roster anymore, hasn't been for several years now, but he has single-handedly, like, submarined the Colts franchise by his premature retirement. And I understand why he did it and everything else. I mean, the guy took a beating for the time that he was there and he was, he did the opposite of Tom Brady. He, he chose family and I, I not going to blame that guy for one second for that. But you, you talk about they did they didn't have a plan. And yeah, he's still here years later. They, they still haven't figured out what the answer is. I don't blame him whatsoever because I think if you're going to pin anything on Jim Irsay, it's how much of a beating Andrew Luck took being the franchise guy. And they basically had tissue paper for an offensive line until he left. And then they finally had one of the best offensive lines in the league for like two years. So irony is what I would call that. Speaking of irony, we're going to talk about storming the field. But first, from last week, so we didn't get to talk about Alabama losing to Tennessee. It would have been a great conversation between the two of us because it was really a game for the ages, a game of the century, all that. And Tennessee fans, having not won against Alabama in 15 years, stormed the field at Neyland Stadium. I can't blame them for that. However, there was a little bit of a an altercation from an Alabama player, Jermaine Burton, who video surfaced last week, and this is old news now, but it still kind of creeps up. Apparently, there is video of him punching a woman or a girl in the face or something like that as the crowd was coming onto the field and part of that. I personally find storming the field to be sort of archaic and kind of dangerous, especially nowadays when the players are still on the field, all that stuff. But I wanted to ask you, Nick Saban played him this week, basically said we looked into it. We didn't feel there was a need to bench him. The video is just a small snippet of what actually happened. People are saying he was scared and that's why he did it. But when I see a man hitting a woman, it definitely gives me a little bit of pause. And I wanted to ask you about Mr. Saban and how you've kind of felt about how this situation has gone down. And do you feel like maybe Nick Saban made the right call because he knows more than we do? Well, I'm I'm a fence sitter, and our listeners are going to learn that, and that's not a great trait to have in this industry, but I am a fence sitter 90% of the time because I, I like to think I'm open-minded and I can see both sides. I, I agree with what you said about storming the field. I think that it's dangerous, especially this day and age, especially in a scenario where you have the, the losing team still on the field while it's being rushed by probably drunk and crazy you know 19 20 year old men and women um who are you know hyped up after a big win 
And now they're going to be coming face to face with 19, 20 year old men that just lost the biggest game of their lives up to that point. And just that all that emotion wrapped up into that moment is just a recipe for things like this to happen. My understanding is that there was some young woman that saw this player shouted some things at him. He turned his head, took a few steps towards her and like pushed her or something. I haven't seen the video. Both people are wrong in this scenario. You know, there's no reason some college co-ed should be screaming in a player's opposing player's face on the field. And as a student athlete, especially somewhere like in Alabama, you got to be above that. You, you have way too much to lose than to engage in that sort of activity. But it's an emotional moment. You're probably at that age still a fairly emotionally immature individual. And it's a lot to overcome. I, I'm not making any excuses for him. That's just the truth. Uh, I have not seen the video, so I don't necessarily feel like I can say if Nick Saban did or did not make the right decision. But it wasn't anything that Nick Saban or that young man did that created the situation for that to happen. Now, what's the answer as far as storming the field? I don't know. Do you say you have to hold everybody back until the opposing team gets off the field and they can storm the field or something? I, I, I'm not sure. <laughs> But I really don't feel like I can make a determination on if this was the correct decision or not. I just feel like I want Nick Saban to do something small. Like, don't suspend him for the game because maybe you're right. Maybe there are two sides to this. And But if I'm Nick Saban, I hold my players to a very high standard. I don't want to see that no matter what the situation is. Because as you have, very, as you have pointed out, Nick Saban coaches his team to be ready for every situation, and that includes losing a big game on the road. And if I see one of my players doing something like that, again, I understand that it could be instigated. I'm not saying that a woman can just do whatever she wants to a man and he's not allowed to retaliate in some way. But if she was out there acting drunk and so forth, he has taught his players to be poised in the most difficult of situations. So just walk away. Yeah, you got you to be above it. You got to be above it. But Nick Saban is like, I don't really feel like that's a big deal, which tells me that Nick Saban and all of his morality bullshit, he doesn't actually care about it. He just wants to win football games. And that's what he's paid to do. I, I get it. But I, I just, I wish there wasn't this like incongruous view of what we want because out of one side of his mouth, Nick Saban is talking about the sanctity of education when Jimbo Fisher, who we're going to talk about later, is buying the best recruiting class. Remember the, the horns down thing or the yeah, screaming at his, the horns down deal, right? He's losing his mind as players for doing that. Yeah, he's like, don't do that shit. And yet they can push somebody and they can play the next week. Did you see the video? I have to admit that I didn't see the video at least not in its entirety. I saw a clip of it and it wasn't great, but it just feels like something that Saban, given the standards that he sets, he would have something to say, look, you're not playing for the first half. Well, and let's, I mean, not that this should matter, but in a place like Alabama, I'm sure that guy's backup is very good. It's an opportunity to teach a lesson, right? That, that may, even if that individual doesn't learn from that lesson, maybe someone else on the team would be like, well, hey, coach is willing to like, bench that guy over something like this, then, then he'll bench any of us or whatever. I mean, there's a lesson to be taught there in that situation. And and so I will agree with what you're saying on that. Uh, but like I said, I, I feel like it's tough for me to make a definitive determination without seeing the video itself. Obviously, I don't condone any sort of male on female violence, but without seeing sort of the nature of it, it's tough to, I guess, be you know, to really pick a side. Something that you don't need to see a video of that's just completely stupid is Clemson's fans storming the field after beating Syracuse this week. They had a comeback victory over Syracuse. 
Apparently, it's some tradition for Clemson fans to storm the field after certain victories. I don't really understand this, but I want to ask you, like, when is it acceptable to storm the field? Because I feel like it should be safe for when a true underdog beats a real Goliath. Like, none of this 25 beats number one crap or something like that. I want to see it when, got, when teams like JMU goes to Blacksburg or, you know, hosts Virginia Tech and beats them something that we would never see in our lifetime. It should be like that, but we see it so damn often, especially in college basketball now. Yeah, I think it, it's got to happen in a, it's justifiable in a program changing or program defining victory. Yes. So now I would argue though that Tennessee beating Alabama being how long it's been, I, I'll give a pass to that. Oh, I agree with you on that. I'm not saying that that particular one was bad, but Clemson against Syracuse. Over like, Syracuse, yeah. Like, they act like it was, you know, a 2002 basketball game. No. Yeah, just... It was I, not. I want nothing to do with that. And if you want to know one of the reasons why I can't stand Clemson, it's like shit like this. And Dabo's in the middle with the reporter. Oh, this is the best atmosphere ever. And I was like, you beat Syracuse. Who gives a shit? Now, Syracuse isn't bad. And no. I, I might just be saying that because I'm hopeful that Notre Dame can go to the Carrier Dome on Saturday and maybe pull some magic out of their ass and return the relevancy. Which, honestly, I'm telling you right now, I'm going to call this. So Notre Dame has to go to Syracuse Saturday. Syracuse is ranked somewhere... 16. What, 16, okay. And then the following Saturday, they host Clemson, and I will be at that game. Okay. Notre Dame's going to win one of those games. Okay. And, and, and it's going to piss me off. Like, I'm, I mean, it's going to piss me the fuck off that they're going to win one of those games because you're going to tell me you can go and go to Clemson and beat 16th-ranked Clemson, or excuse me, 16th-ranked Syracuse, or beat 5th-ranked Clemson at home, but you can't beat Marshall, you can't beat Stanford, or whatever. Now, I can tell you this much. If Notre Dame beats Clemson, me and my father will not not be storming the field at Notre Dame Stadium. I can tell you that right now. Be a great win, yes, not storm the field worthy at all. Completely agree with you on that. And it's funny you mentioned Notre Dame beating one of those two teams because that kind of falls into the parody that we've talked about. And when we realigned the NCAA, which was the first ever episode we did together before we were even together together as co-hosts, and we talked about how parody is great for the sport. And It was our first date. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, so we talked about how the parody of the NCAA was actually great for the fans, great for the sport, expanding the playoff and all of that. Well, we're not quite there yet in terms of the playoff, so we still have the old system. We have the four teams. Teams. And while the parody has been fun seeing a lot of these teams rise and fall, rise and fall, it begs the question, it's October 25th is the day we're recording this. Is the playoff inevitable already? I don't think so. And that's really the reason there, there's a couple factors. One is the SEC is still very much up in the air. Now, I do think it's very likely we get at least one of Georgia or Alabama will be in this Tennessee slip into that mix. You know, I don't know. I mean, I, I do think, though, two of those three teams likely make the playoff. If Michigan beats Ohio State, you're going to get one of those two in. The, the What I think is the most fascinating is who is the fourth team. If Clemson doesn't lose a game, they're most likely in, I think. If they lose, you're not going to have an undefeated Pac-12 champ. So they're probably out. And you're not going to have, I don't know if you can still have an undefeated Big 12 champ either is tcu lost a game yet no okay so if tcu wins out and wins the big 12 the, the who who gets in uh undefeated tcu or undefeated clemson if you're talking two sec teams whoever they may be ohio state or michigan is that fourth team undefeated clemson or undefeated tcu 
But is that really what you want? Is you do you want to just feel intrigue over that fourth team, knowing that the no. other three are fairly inevitable? Because that's I think that's the crux of why it just pisses me off so much. Why my love for college football sort of takes a nosedive outside of Virginia Tech being shitty, but takes a nosedive before we even get to Thanksgiving because it feels like I'm craving, oh, I can't wait for the fourth team to be had when it feels like the fourth team is probably not going to matter. Like even Clemson is undefeated. They're not nearly what they were. They just switched quarterbacks because they had to make the pat and they had to make the switch because they were losing to Syracuse at halftime and they don't feel like the juggernaut that they once were. TCU while is a great story are they a program that you feel like can challenge whether it's tennessee alabama or georgia I, you know what i mean like that, that's why i ask like is it inevitable because to me it feels that way to me it feels like no matter how things play out we're gonna get a conglomerate of teams that aren't gonna stack up like i just don't feel like michigan even if they make the playoff like they did last year are gonna stack up against georgia or alabama or even tennessee yeah, it's going to, I mean, it's going to be, for the most part, the usual suspects. I agree with you. Like, yeah, we've had a few, you know, Tennessee's sort of the, the new girl on the scene, right? Um, but other than that, yeah, it's, you know, Clemson, Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan. There, there There's really no one else in the mix other than Tennessee and maybe TCU. And I, I do, I don't like that. I, I, I like the parody. I wish we had more parody. And that's, I don't think that you can manufacture parody, but I think that you could expand the playoff which will make it at least feel like there's some parody and I, I told you before I think 12 is too much but I'll take 12 over 4 um, I think 8 the number but I'll take 12 over 4 because it, it makes me feel like the best part of the college football season is the time period in which we don't know anything in the NFL it's much different because the season is longer and it's a much more fun ride to get to it plus there are more teams involved so you know that your team or other teams are going to have a better chance of making it where you're going to have a couple of teams slip into those wild card spots anything can happen in the nfl because once you get there the teams are very much even once you get to the playoffs but in terms of college football we know that there's a huge disparity the number one team and the number 25 team are not just 24 spots away from each other in some regards i think number 24 right now is south carolina like there is a chasm between alabama tennessee and georgia and south carolina even though they're both ranked and that's sad that we're getting to women's college basketball territory with this well, and especially compared, yeah, no, that's a great comparison. And then compared to the NFL, where number 32 could beat number one yes. any day. And that's funny because me and Ryan, you know, my co-host from Pub Time, we were talking about, you know, he's like, oh man, the NFC East, look at them, man. They're good. And I'm like, yeah, you got the Giants and you have the Eagles and the Cowboys are doing well. I'm like, he's like, well, the the commanders, you know, they're they're beating teams they have no business beating. I'm like, but that's just the NFL, man. Mm -hmm. Like, you got dog shit teams going out every week and beating somebody they shouldn't. It's because the freaking disparity is so small. The margin for error is so small. And that's what's so crazy is like, can you imagine that volatility as uh, a coach, especially a coach, where you know that margin for error is so small and you're relying on other people essentially to perform to preserve your job. And, and just that, that line, man, is so fine between being a legend. I mean, Bill Belichick, you know, he was pretty pedestrian until he got to New England and Brady ascended to the starting quarterback. I mean, it, it, there was nothing special. I mean, yeah, he had some success in Cleveland and, you know, they were they were going in the right direction in New England. But until Brady came along, you know, it, shit, man, he could have gone could have gone south real fast. It could have. But head coaching, you kind of sign a contract. And you know what it is. The players most likely are not going to get the 
blame, the coach is going to get the blame first. And you talked about coaches and the fine line. I would say there are quite a few coaches on the hot seat right now. The first one I want to bring up, I'm not sure if it's a hot seat situation because he's in his first year. I believe it's the Saints coach, Dennis Allen, I believe is his name. Did you happen to watch Thursday Night Football by chance? This might have been one of the first weeks I did not take in any Thursday Night Football. I had a little family time Thursday night. Well, let me tell you, my in-laws were in town. We turned on the game and all I saw was the first half. At the end of the first half, Andy Dalton got the, got the ball twice and threw two pick sixes in a row. And the Cardinals basically went on to win the football game from that point on because there's no way you're going to recover from that. Halftime, the coach is running back. The lovely, lovely field reporter gets him and says, hey, coach, you know, Andy Dalton throws two picks before halftime. What are you going to tell him at halftime? Dennis Allen looks at this lady straight in the face and says, just keep doing what you're doing. Yeah, I'm sure that's going to win you a shit ton of football games doing that. Like, I do not want my head coach saying that shit. You do not question the red rifle. Come on now. Everybody knows that. It was awful. And I predicted the first one, too. I was like, he was getting the ball back. There's like two minutes left. The Cardinals scored 22 points in two and a half game minutes at the end of the half. Like, that's just terrible. And it was awful. I tell you what, him and Marvin Lewis should go on the road, man. Like Penn and Teller, step aside. Siegfried and Royd, step aside. Like what they did in Cincinnati and, and just the consistency they had. I did not think highly of Andy Dalton coming out of TCU. And no. Marvin Lewis is one of the most boring fucking people I've ever listened to in my life. The fact that those guys had any semblance of success in Cincinnati is pure magic. They should go on the road, um, entertain us all, take go to Vegas, set up shop at the Luxor. You guys could, uh, I mean, make hundreds of dollars i'm sure but isn't it interesting though how the failures of the past can cloud the present marvin lewis gets to keep that Bengals job for what 14 seasons or something like that because before that they had been absolutely terrible the bottom feeders of the nfl and so to make the playoffs what six or seven times in his tenure that to them is like making a super bowl whereas most of the other teams in the league if you have a 15 year span and you don't do anything with it they had zero playoff wins during marvin lewis's time there zero but they made the playoffs they felt relevant again and that's what kept him employed despite the fact that we all looked at it and said he's not the guy and look at what happened they get rid of the guy they get a brand new head coach they make the super bowl last year with joe well they had joe burrow and jamar chase so that that does change things but dennis allen is not on the hot seat but just a hysterical comment just keep doing what you're doing after his quarterback just threw two terrible pick sixes yeah, I don't think he's on the hot seat. I do. They're in a weird. It, it's always tough to rebound after you've lost a generational quarterback like Drew Brees and Sean Payton was a outstanding head coach. Had a lot of success there. I mean, he basically resurrected the Saints from nothing. You know, before he got there, people were wearing bags on their heads. Mm -hmm. And to kind of follow that act up and come in and hit the ground running, it's tough to do for anybody. And just think of the weird dynamic they have at the quarterback position between Andy Dalton, Jameis Winston, and then you have the whole Taysom Hill dynamic. It's just odd. Speaking of odd, so you talked about generational talents and Drew Brees. So you could make the argument that Brandon Staley with the Chargers has a generational talent in Justin Herbert. He has looked the part. We know he's got the goods. We know he's got a very, very high ceiling and he's a great quarterback. The Chargers can't seem to put it together. They've had some injuries this year, so I'm going to give a little bit of a pass on that. But Brandon Staley was seen as this kind of like genius guy, one of those young up and comers, and he plays the analytics. But I would have to say as somebody who likes it when 
when guys take chances and if they're playing the analytics. He's gotten really cute in a lot of situations and I feel like it's lost football games. I really feel like his leash is a little bit shorter than people realize because if you're handed the keys to Justin Herbert and there's a lot of talent and he's not getting any better, even though the fact that we've seen the skills, Brandon Staley, I feel like, is on thin ice here. He may not be on the hot seat, but if they don't make the playoffs this year, they are looking in a different direction. Yeah, Justin Herbert's fantastic, or Jake Herbert, whoever. But he's he's generational talent, you said. Brandon Staley was a D coordinator, man. And that's the one thing. Most of these other guys who are these sexy, up-and-coming coaches have been offensive-minded people. And he's probably the most recent defense guy that's ascended. Now, what I would say he should do, if he survives this season, what he needs to do is call Frank Reich, who's probably going to get fired in Indianapolis, and have him come in and be his offensive coordinator. He needs to get an offensive guy and maybe even like an older guy like Frank Reich, who's been around the league for a while, they can sort of be that voice in the room that pushes back a little bit, at least against some of the analytical stuff. I, I like analytics. It has a place, but there's a, you know, it, you know I think it, there's a balance and I think he needs to get sort of that old veteran voice that can bring some balance and stability and then get just get an offensive guy that can maximize the potential of your very talented young quarterback yeah i think that's actually a very astute point by you that frank reich losing his job probably i really feel like he's a guy that if they don't make the playoffs this year they're going to go in a different direction he's made his last ditch effort and from all accounts seems like a great guy won a super bowl with the eagles as their offensive coordinator but i think you're spot on that he's going to find himself a job no doubt right he's definitely to find himself a job and it's just a matter of what team has the best fit and i think that if he goes back to being an offensive coordinator he's going to resurrect himself a little bit he's probably learned something i can see frank Reich going back and doing the alabama treatment you know when the all the guys that get fired go back to alabama as some kind of a coordinator and then get resurrected i can see that happening for frank Reich. but what i want to ask you is where is jimbo fisher going to be next year wouldn't you shit if he ended up being the offensive coordinator at alabama oh i'm <laughs> like just i mean yes that would be so absurd and like you know it would be great and nick saban i wish nick saban had the sense of humor to like if jimbo was his offensive coordinator to get one of those like harness leashes people put on their three-year-olds mm -hmm. and had it on jimbo on the sideline i mean just be like i own you jimbo like get over here heel boy like i i mean it's terrible but it just would be so entertaining to me in the worst possible way but i don't know i don't know if he gets a coordinator job somewhere maybe he kind of like just backs away for a little bit and you know comes back in you know to some maybe power five team that has gone you know become kind of irrelevant and tries to come in and resurrect them type of deal I, i'm not sure man that's a, that's a really great question I, I he's so polarizing that i don't think he's just the type of, like frank reich's the opposite frank reich seems the type of guy that he's very likable and you could plug and play sort of deal anywhere I, I don't know that Jimbo's got a lot of friends. But he's going to get fired, right? Like the, the boosters are already raising money to get rid of him because he has had the most expensive class that money can buy. And this season has been nothing short of a disappointment. I really don't think that there's enough wins that they can rip off here that are going to mend the fences because he's not winning an SEC title. So that means that there's no way to make the playoff. This is just a pedestrian team in a pedestrian gear. And that's not what they hired him for. They hired him off of a national championship to resurrect this program. And he's not doing it. No, not at all. Who who takes that job? Hot take here. 
I really don't feel like Texas A&M is a sexy job. I, I don't see it as some job that is a step up. They disagree. Oh, I know they they do. And and other people might. Like, I'm not sitting here telling you that Texas A&M is a slouch of a university. But as far as a football job, that is not a top 10 job. I don't care. It's not even really an SEC job. That's right. I said it. Just because they're in the SEC, it's a Big 12 job. It still is. Two names. Luke Fickle, Cincinnati. Matt Campbell, Iowa State. Now, I would take Luke Fickle. Those are going to be the, those are the two sexiest names out there right now. I think the guy at Coastal Carolina, too, is probably going to be in some conversations after this year. Yeah, I agree. So you mentioned or I mentioned about expectations and about how the past can shade that. So Yankees manager Aaron Boone, the Yankees just lost again to the Houston Astros. They did not make another World Series. It has now been 13 years since the Yankees have won a World Series. And for the third or fourth season in a row, Yankee Nation wants to get rid of Aaron Boone. And I ask you, are the Yankees one of those franchises where the expectations are so high that you just can't have 95 or 99 win seasons, make the playoffs and then never win a World Series? Like, do you think that a managerial change actually matters for this team? I think those are ridiculous expectations, but I do understand that there are a few franchises in sports that operate that way. Uh, that's not going to bode well for Aaron Boone, but yeah, a perennial playoff team should not lose their coach. That, that guy should not lose his job over that. And now, if you truly, you know, from an ownership general manager position, if you truly believe that Aaron Boone is who's standing between you and a championship based off the knowledge you have of his running of the team, then yes, you should make a change. But I, I feel like if, if the guy is good enough to keep the, you know, the, to win 90 whatever games and get the team to the playoffs every year, it's probably not just him. You know, one thing I, as you were talking about it, I thought would be interesting is if, and actually, I don't know if you knew this, but Joe Girardi is from where I'm from, literally went to the same junior high as I did everything else. You know, what if the Phillies just, or the Yankees decide to retread Joe Girardi after uh, getting the Phillies to the World Series, they decide to throw a bunch of money at him and bring him back in. If only the Phillies hadn't fired him earlier on in the season, that might be a great, great idea for the Yankees. He's available now if the Yankees want to bring him in because the Phillies fired him. That's so stupid, man, because I saw a freaking interview like two hours before we got on here where they were talking to him and he was talking about the team like he was still managing them. I told you I don't follow baseball. My yeah. God, I should have known by the look on your face. I was saying that like this is not the even right. I'm like, fuck, he doesn't even manage him anymore, does he? I was <laughs> like, waiting for it, but he's but, he's, he's been playing. God dang. He's, he's playing the PR card so we can get a job, even though from what I hear, he is like the most difficult guy to manage. Remember, Joe Girardi got fired from the Marlins the year he won coach of the year. That's how difficult of a guy he is to have managed. Uh, yeah, I've gotten that vibe for sure. And like, that's what I remember as I, as I was watching, I'm like, I didn't realize he was still their manager, but fuck, that's cool. They're in the World Series. And she's like, yeah, we did this. We did that. It's like, what do you think about, you know, this? And it just, it was so, it was a really odd interview, I guess. But he was talking, he was speaking like we, like he was still a part of it. So I, that's, yeah, I agree. Oh, fantastic. I agree. It's funny fantastic. though. Astros Phillies in the World Series is two teams that probably have some of the most polarizing fans. And people still talk about the Astros because they cheated. Very similar to the Patriots. They're never going to get rid of it. This is not that team. And I feel like it's used as a crutch a lot. And people who are fans of a team that maybe isn't a successful or kind of using it and right now to me the Phillies feel like a team of destiny they're actually fun but nobody can stand Philly fans like I'm talking about Philadelphia fans and with the Phillies being good and the Eagles being good 
all of America is just groaning. Yeah, what a time to be alive as a mm -hmm. sports fan in Philadelphia, right? Between the Eagles and the Phillies. And I do think, especially, this is not a sexy World Series. I don't know who has the rights to the World Series this year, if it's Fox or Fox, whoever. Yeah. You had to be praying that the Yankees would find a way into this game. You get Yankees, Dodgers or something when you saw the playoffs or Cardinals or whoever. Uh, this is not a sexy World Series. So it wouldn't surprise me if you see a lot of... The media doesn't want the narrative of the Astros cheating to go away because it brings eyes to it. You're going to get people mm -hmm. there. They're going to root against the Astros just because of what happened three, four years ago. You know, I don't think the media is ever going to let that die because it's always an, a narrative that may bring uh, casual fans to the table. But Houston and Philadelphia are major markets. They're massive markets. And so from a rating standpoint, this is going to track because there are going to be people who turn in because they hate both teams. And that's exactly what these networks want. Eyes on the product. And that sound means it is time for Crunch Time, our weekly rat-a-tat-tat back and forth through 10 games on the slate in sports. Coach, are you ready? Let's fire it up. Starting off, number two, Ohio State traveling to number 13, Penn State in what is a Big Ten showdown. Penn State fell flat on their face against Michigan. Ohio State is going to come in and take care of business. Not so happy Valley Buckeyes big. Notre Dame, unranked, traveling to the Carrier Dome to face number 16, Syracuse Orangemen, which is crazy. I can't believe I'm saying that. Give me the fighting Irish. Yes, wake up the echoes, shake down the thunder. Give me the Irish on the road. Number nine, coaches, Oklahoma State Cowboys, finally in the top 10, once again after another loss that they usually have, traveling to Manhattan, Kansas to face Kansas State. Give me the Cowboys. This is the little apple, not the big apple. Give me the Cowboys on the road. Number 19, Kentucky, traveling to Neyland Stadium to face number three, Tennessee. Kentucky kind of woke up. Tennessee is really, really good. I don't see them having a letdown. Rocky Top. We're going to hear Rocky Top a lot on Saturday. Go Vols. Number 15, Ole Miss, coming off a loss they just could not afford, traveling to somehow always in our headspace, Jimbo Fisher and Texas A&M. This is kind of a tough one because I feel like Texas A&M plays well on the road, but I'm going to give the nod to Ole Miss. Lane Kiffin and the boys are going to bring the shovels. This is the one that puts Jimbo in the ground. Give me the rip. <laughs> Switching to the NFL, the Cardinals travel to the Vikings, and I feel like this is the time where Kirk Cousins is finally going to get Cliff Kingsbury fired. Give me the Vikings. Cliff Kingsbury has nine lives. I think he's on number eight, and he will stay there. Give me Kyler and the Cardinals on the road. The Patriots and their rotating quarterbacks travel to the Meadowlands to face the New York Jets, who are inexplicably 5-2. and two. This is a trap game for the Patriots. I actually like the Jets here. Yeah, I love the Jets, and I, I hate, I hope that, uh, I, I don't know, but this is a game it seems like that Bill Belichick is going to go home and, like, beat his dog afterwards because he's going to be so mad that they lost to the Jets. <laughs> 
The New York Football Giants inexplicably 6-1 travel to Seattle to face the first place Seattle Seahawks. I just don't understand this. This is a time when I feel like the Giants are finally going to lose. They have to at some point. Geno Smith is playing out of his mind. Give me Pete Carroll and his gum chewing. This is the most irrelevant, relevant game that we've had so far this season. Uh, I think that I, I do agree with you, though. I think that it's hard to cross the you know, go across country. Seattle's a tough place to play. I will take the Seahawks. <laughs> The Green Bay Packers traveling to Orchard Park for their Super Bowl against the Buffalo Bills. Give me the Buffalo Bills and Josh Allen by a billion. There's part of me that wants to say, oh, this is this is the game where Aaron Rodgers reminds all of us that we don't know what we're talking about. But fuck that guy. Give me Bills Mafia. And last, the World Series, Astros, Phillies. Who do you like? I like the Philadelphia Phillies. They feel like a team of destiny. Destiny doesn't get you anywhere. Give me talent. I'll take the Strohs. All right. And that is crunch time. And I did it last week by myself. Wasn't nearly as fun. So it's glad to have you back. I'm not just talking to the wall and talking to myself. Man, that's always the most fun part of the show. But there's still a I little agree. bit more before we get out of here. And it is time for OTW, the official OTW. Last week, we only had one half of it. I did not make a pick of the week because that's just not my bag, baby. However, stats are my bag. And coach, do you know Mike Leach, your boy? Yes, I love, love Mike Leach. And I hope, I hope this is the stat I'm thinking it might be. I, I do believe that it is. Mike Leach traveled to Alabama to play the Crimson Tide a week after they lost. Literally the worst thing you could possibly do in college football. And the stat came up that the Mississippi State Bulldogs had not scored a touchdown in Tuscaloosa since 2014. And they finally did in the fourth quarter of their 30-6 blowout loss to Alabama. So kudos to the Bulldogs for scoring their first touchdown in Tuscaloosa in almost 10 fucking years. Absolutely. Did you see the little blurb where he mentioned in his press post-game press conference that he thought that the Mississippi State Bulldogs must be intimidated by the Alabama jerseys? Something like that. I just was blown away. <laughs> ridiculous. And that he thought that the that the Mississippi State receivers' children were going to grow, gr children and grandchildren were going to grow up and have no hands because if they aren't used, they eventually go away <laughs> or whatever. I'm like, this is terrible. Yeah, well, I'll tell you what was also terrible. Their performance against the... <laughs> against the Crimson Tide. I think I saw that in Tuscaloosa, they had been outscored 140 to three since 2014. Like I just, you can't have that. That's just fucking awful. Well, let's move on to an equally poor performance. My friends, welcome back. It is Coach's Pick of the Week. The guy who announced it last time has been fired. It is me. Coach did not make a pick last week, so he is still sitting at 1-3-1 one, and one with Bears plus 7 over the Vikings. Coach, who do you have for our Pick of the Week? Coach Stradamus. <clears throat> hear ye, hear ye. 
come one come all to the wonderful and ever accurate pick of the week i actually shifted gears on this literally like 120 seconds ago i had one in mind i was going to go with it and i said you know what let's be bold i'm going to take the michigan state spartan plus 22 at the big house not to win, but to cover the spread against the Michigan Wolverines. Give me Sparty. The Spartans of East Lansing over the Wolverines of Michigan. So let it be written. So let it be done. And there you go, folks. That brings us to the end of the episode. Coach, do you have any final parting thoughts for our audience? As always, we are privileged to uh, partake in another wonderful, wonderful week of college and professional football. This is the time of year where we all start to take this for granted. I urge you, listeners, do not, because we are only mere months away from being in the football desert, and we do not want to be there. Enjoy it for what it is and while it lasts. Drink from the oasis that is the Iceman and Coach Sports Show. Please support the Pub Time Podcast, where you can find Coach in his other form, otherwise known as Brad. And of course, Maddie S Media Network for all the podcasts that we support here. We hope that this finds you safe. We hope that this finds you well. And this is Iceman and Coach. The opinions and viewpoints expressed on the Iceman and Coach Sports Show are those of Matt Freights, Brad Powell, and their guests, and not necessarily those of the Matty Ice Media Network. The Iceman and Coach Sports Show is exclusively owned by Matt Freights and Brad Powell and is brought to you by the Matty Ice Media Network.